I'm so glad you've come out, and uh, as the uh, financial update thing kind of uh, put on there, we, we do want to thank you for your giving in this last year. It has been good, and we really appreciate it, and we want you to know that. And uh, we've just gone through the Hearing God series, about 370 or 80 people signed up and went through that, and uh, rather than me you know, say, well, here's our need, here's what our year-end thing is, uh, I'm just gonna ask you to listen to God. Uh, I believe that God has created in you a DNA of generosity, and the proof is the cross. Heavenly Father, our wonderful God, sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you and me. God is a loving and generous God. And when you pray to receive Jesus, that presence of God has been placed in you. And whether you, maybe your old nature was greedy and hanging on and it's all about me, that new nature in you says, I am going to be generous. And so I'm just gonna ask you to ask God. And we've got a little bit of a shortfall coming into the end of the year. Our uh, building fund is a little bit short. I'm not going to even say how much or what. I'm just going to say, because I believe God speaks way better than I can. And I just want to encourage you to hear God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word now, oh God, to be in this dynamic relationship, when I think of the words in the book of Acts, it was, seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Uh, Lord, we... Uh, are so weak on, we are so uh, lost uh, in hearing your presence and your voice. May your word come to our lips. Uh, may your word come to our minds. Uh, may you speak truth into our lives. May you lead and guide us. And Lord, as we speak, as we hear your word today, uh, let it be just what you want us to hear. Speak clear and loud. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So I was driving home last night, it was about 10 o'clock, and uh, uh, I had three people cut me off on the way home, and I don't know if uh, Christmas is just uh, uh, driving everybody crazy or whatever it was. Uh, one guy in particular, I could see him in my lane, and I was in the right lane, and he was in the, the lane just behind me, and you're going, oh no, another pastor story. Well, wait, this one turns out okay, well, mostly okay. And uh, so I see the guy, and he changes into the left lane as we come to a light. And I don't know what your testosterone is, ladies. No, I'm kidding. Guys, because I see the ladies are just as bad as the men in our town. But my testosterone's going, how, he's not doing it. I know what he's up to. He's going to go in front of me and turn right. And I was just sure of that. And so uh, we get to the light. The light turns green. And my little beetle can go pretty good. And uh, I'm keeping up with them, and I hear a voice. No, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was my wife beside me. And uh, she goes, what are you doing? And then I heard the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I can make anybody talk what I need to be said. And remember, there was a donkey. Not that my wife's a donkey. Don't get me wrong. And so I backed off. And the guy actually cut right over into me, and I, he probably would have hit me. And at first I was a little mad, and I thought he had one of those great big lifted four-by-four four trucks. 
And, and I leaned over to Carol and I said, you know our son works at a place that lifts those trucks and they drive me crazy because they can never see you. I'm in a little Volkswagen Beetle. I'm really low to the ground. Uh, in fact, those four by four trucks always say to me, you're a speed bump. And uh, so I was glad my wife spoke to me and I listened to the Holy Spirit and I backed off. Now, if you were in my situation, what do you think the Holy Spirit would have said to you? You should have stepped on it. You should have shown him who's right. You should have shown him how dare he try to get ahead of you. I don't think so. What does the scripture say? Consider others more important than yourselves. Did you know that God wants a dynamic relationship with you? He wants you to be in the word. He wants you reading the Bible. He wants to speak to you in your mind in his still small voice. He wants to lead you and guide you and give you power. Last Sunday we talked about, uh, really it was a salvation message, and it was all about being born again. It's about coming into the kingdom. It's about uh, admitting you're a sinner and, and rebellious against God, and you needed the Savior, Jesus Christ. And theologians call that word or that theology justification. Now, we still use that word today because we will say, I felt justified. Or, uh, you know, and we still use justification uh, all over the place. And you need to know as I go into today's message, I am not talking about salvation. I am not talking about salvation. I am talking about our ongoing relationship with the Father and being who we are in Christ. You have been justified in Jesus and there's nothing more you need to do to get your place into heaven and reconciled with God. But when you were justified, something significant and unbelievable happened and we in the biblical world have a word for that that we don't ever use. In fact, you'll find it in the New International Version translation and a few others and that word is sanctification. Sanctification, and that's what we're gonna go into do today basically means to set apart. Now in the Old Testament, the Jews used to set apart uh, sometimes people, uh, but in the temple they would have a lot of uh, uh, items that they would set apart from common use. It, it could be a juice pitcher that normally was for serving juice in the home. They would take it to the temple, they would pray for it and set it apart only for holy use. Sanctification, friends, when you receive Jesus, when you were justified, God is now sanctifying you. He is setting you apart for holy use. And I would argue this till I was blue in the face, that if you try as a follower of Jesus to live the old life, the old ways, the old man, you will be one of the most miserable people in the world. In fact, if you go onto uh, the internet and search for uh, uh, atheist, uh, you'll find that probably half of them used to go to church. I've become convinced that a lot of them, they're, they're being who they aren't because many of them prayed to receive Christ and they got so mad at the church or so mad at somebody at the church or so mad at God that they began to be who they used to be. And they're miserable and they're angry and they're filled with hate. You can just see it on the internet. I'm just challenging you this morning. If you've prayed to receive Jesus, if you have been justified, I beg you, Understand what sanctification is. Understand what being set apart is. Oh, 
Okay, let's dissect this whole sanctification stuff. Uh, now, this is going to get a little bit glass over your eyes stuff for some of you, and I apologize. Uh, I'll try to make it as interesting as I can. But uh, sanctification is of the whole person. Sanctification is of the whole person. And there are three stages of sanctification. The first stage is past sanctification, an event in which we have been freed from the penalty of sin, an event where we have been freed from the penalty of sin. When you prayed, when you were justified, you were sanctified and set free from the penalty of sin. Number two, or B, we have present sanctification. This is the here and now. This is experiential. An ongoing process of learning to walk free from the power of sin. Did you notice sort of the little undertone there? An ongoing process of learning to walk free from the power of sin. Let me reword it. It is being who you are in Christ. It's being who you are in Christ. And if you've been frustrated or struggling or just feeling like something's not right, let me challenge, challenge you. Get a little bit of personal discipline. Spend some time uh, in the morning. I was just thinking, driving to work this morning, I was thinking about the sermon, and I, I thought about before the fall, in the Garden of Eden, did you know that Adam and Eve every evening went for a walk with God? So at least once a day, friends of Jesus, walk with God. Get into his word. Show some self-discipline. You know why it's hard? Because a lot of our life, a lot of our fallen nature, a lot of our world is trying to make everybody on the outside look into us and think we're okay. And so this personal discipline and just spending time with God, uh, we tend to ignore it, put it off, get out of habit, because it really doesn't affect how people look at us. But I want to tell you it does. I have personally noticed over and over and over again when I am not connecting with the vine, when I'm not letting the Holy Spirit reign in my heart, in my life, then I become a person I don't like. I become a little more judgmental. I become snipey to my wife. And none of you guys get to see that. So, and she's so loving and caring. She's so kind. When I get under pressure, you know, she's got a hearing problem and she can't hear something and she asks me to repeat it. And I get loud. And, and she said to me yesterday, she said, when I don't hear you, you go from whispering to yelling. And I don't like that. And I was just going, oh. And I actually was thinking, I said, was I in the word in the morning? And, and I thought, no, I wasn't. I had so much stuff going on. I had so many, I had an elder's supper and I had so many people to please and so many things to do and tasks to complete. I wasn't in the word. And, and that affects us, friends. When the Holy Spirit isn't reigning, when we haven't walked with God in the evening or in the morning, whatever it is, it will affect us. And the third part of sanctification is future sanctification. Future sanctification is a future event in which we will be set free from the presence of sin. Oh man, do I look forward to that no more Grand Prairie drivers. I won't be in the presence of sin anymore. I won't be affected by my sin because I won't be sinning and other people won't tempt me into sinning. I won't get frustrated with others. That's future sanctification. So what is being sanctified? 
What is being sanctified? What, what's this set apart? What, what is this acting out or experiencing Jesus about? Uh, first of all, sanctification is of our mind. Uh, right, the, the space between our ears, is it not? I mean, Jesus talked about this. He talked about that sin starts right here in the thought processes. So the first thing that needs to be sanctified is our mind. Our minds or intellects, given by God to think, are to be sanctified so they think properly. Romans 12, 2. I haven't quoted this for a whole long time, and I'm so excited. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of the mind. By the renewing of the mind. Then you will be able to, listen to this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. When our mind, and, and we're going to go through a bunch of different verses, but when we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, when, when our mind is actually on track hearing his voice, when, when we're in the word, when we're praying, uh, friends, Paul warns us not to be taken captive by worldly philosophies. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive, and listen to how they take you captive, through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than of Christ. And by the way, when you're watching TV all the time, when you're going to the movies, and I mean, if you haven't noticed a little bit of an agenda going on, uh, we were just talking about it in the back room, the agenda uh, of some of the newest stuff out there. And, and it's pretty clear what the agenda is, but basically it's normalizing sin. And that agenda has been going on for thousands of years. Uh, the world can, and I love the whole illustration of Jesus washing uh, the feet of the disciples and, and uh, the whole idea and concept, uh, you know, Peter says, wash my whole body. And, and Jesus says, you're, you're already clean. You're already justified. Uh, but walking in the world, your feet get a little dirty. You just need your feet washed. And a lot of us need to get that in our mind, that we need to uh, cleanse our mind, purify our mind. And we spend so much time soaking up what the world thinks, talking to people in the world about their opinions, and we spend very little time in the church and in what God thinks. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive. Now, if you want a little bit of verbal imagery there, hear it. We take captive, we take a hold of it, we grab it, we throw it to the ground. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I love Neil Anderson's illustration in this. He, he talks about, uh, you know, you're tempted to eat cookies. And so you're in your apartment and you want to eat cookies and you think, well, there's no cookies in my house, so I'm okay. And then you think, well, I'll just go to the grocery store and see what kind of choices I have, but I'm not going to buy cookies. And so you go and you go down the cookie row and you think, well, there's lots of choices here. I'm just going to pick some up and read the descriptions, but I'm not going to buy them. And you know how the drill goes. Before you know it, you're at the till, you're buying them, and you say, I'm going to buy them and take them home, but I'm just going to put them in the cupboard and I'll save them for another day. And you get home and you put them in the cupboard and you think about it and think about it and all of a sudden, you eat the whole bag. Well, at least if it's me, I eat the whole bag. Where would that thought been best to stop? 
Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. However, we, we don't just remove the unholy from our minds, but we need to replace it with pure things. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble. Now, this passage follows that wonderful passage about being anxious about nothing, but by prayer and supplication, offer your prayers to God. And then he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Man, if we just followed these thoughts, eh? I mean, when you're driving along and somebody cuts you off or you didn't get the paycheck that you thought you deserved or somebody says an unkind word to you and you just let it roll around in your head and get a life of its own, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is in our minds. And then we are to use our minds to grow in our knowledge about God. The second thing that God does in sanctifications beyond our minds is he sanctifies our emotions. He sanctifies our emotions, and all I can say is amen. And I've told you guys, and somebody just, I've told you before, I was raised by a German, so we only have one emotion we show, right? Anger's okay. Justified, in fact. But I was raised by a German, but I have English blood on me. And somebody, one of our missionaries, just came back from England. So what are the people like? And uh, she said, well, they're kind of stiff. Actually, it wasn't her. It was somebody else that said, the, the people in England are kind of stiff. And it made me laugh because I'm kind of stiff. But, but on the flip side, I've got a little bit of French blood in me. See, I, when, I, when I talk to the Mennonites and tease you, it's because I have envy because I'm such a Heinz 57. I don't know if I'm kind of, I got Irish and Scottish and, oh, it's just terrible. I don't know what's going on. So I sometimes can get super emotional on the inside, jumping up and down and screaming, but on the outside I'm German and English, and so I don't do anything or say anything, and it really can be ridiculous sometimes. But God sanctifies our emotions. Ephesians 4.31 says, in regards of putting away all of our negative emotions of our sinful nature, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Man, if we read the word, if we listen to the Holy Spirit, we'll start to have this whole sanctification thing going on. We'll start being who we are in Christ. And, and then we're challenged to walk with the Spirit in order to bear fruit, which includes several positive and godly emotions. So again, you're, you're, you're taking off or putting off or, or not doing certain emotional things. And, and then, to fill the void or the vacuum that's there, Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is the Spirit that has been placed in you at salvation. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thirdly, one more thing that sanctification works on in our lives, sanctification of our will and decision-making. 
In other words, it's about uh, what we're going to do next, what, what we're going to pursue, what we're going to chase after. When we sanctify our minds and emotions, it will greatly affect the ability of our wills to make proper decisions. Regardless of our wills, regardless, our wills also need to be sanctified. Philippians 2.13 says it so clearly, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's about, friends, leaning into his presence and his power. It's about turning away from the things of the world. It's, it's taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And fourth, what does sanctification do to us in, a, in our whole being and purpose? Sanctification of our body is the last one. Our bodies become sanctified. We, we become instruments of righteousness. And as the mind, emotions, and will are being sanctified, it will make it easier to sanctify the body. Does that make sense? 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. When we lean into God, when, when we allow the Holy Spirit to uh, take every thought captive, when we allow the Holy Spirit to help us in our emotions, when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead our decisions and our choices, it is so easy to be who we are in Christ and that our bodies would be instruments of righteousness. We were purchased through Christ's death, weren't we? And because we belong to him, we must glorify him in what we do with our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and I would say at your justification, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Further, our bodies are the means by which the Holy Spirit works in this life. Therefore, our bodies are not to be recklessly abused or mistreated, but are to be made useful and able to respond to God's will. Our bodies no longer belong to us, but are, the, are to be set aside for the Lord's purposes. Our bodies are, you know, this, this whole argument of, well, I have, the, I, you know, I, I'm a thief and I was born this way, so you just got to let me be that. I mean, I actually hear that about. And on and on it goes about this, this kind of proclivities and sin nature that we have. And well, it's, but our bodies are for him and for his glory. It's not that God is mean and nasty. He lets us have fun and we can be healthy and we can enjoy physical stuff. He's given us marriage and bounds within that, but we can enjoy ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, The body is not for, meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Neil Anderson, Freeman in Christ Ministries, puts it this way, and this is going to be a little bit of a brain stretcher. In justification... God declares the believer righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. 
which is accounted to the believer. Justification is the act of a judge. It removes from the sinners the condemnation that is deserved because of their guilt. Sanctification is more the act of a priest and deals with the pollution of sin. The doctrine of sanctification is a process that begins at our new birth in Christ and is completed in heaven, whereas justification fully happened at our birth and is always referred to in the past tense for believers. In another writing, Neil Anderson says, the theology I learned was more reformed and focused on progressive sanctification, which made the term almost synonymous with Christian growth or maturity. The tendency from this perspective is to refer to past tense sanctification as just positional truth, as though it had no practical significance. That will result in some spending the rest of their lives trying to become... Sorry, my thing jumped. That will result in some spending the rest of their lives trying to become somebody they already are. Positional sanctification is real truth and is the basis for progressive sanctification. As born-again believers, we're not trying to become children of God. We are children of God who are becoming like Christ. Progressive sanctification is the process of working out our salvation by faith, that which God has already worked in. It is becoming like Christ. It is who we are. He is in us, and it's working out. Okay, so how many of you fell asleep through that whole bit? Hopefully, wake up, wake up now. Truthfully, this whole concept, different groups, different people explain it a hundred different ways, and I'm a kind of guy that always tries to bring people together and different thoughts together. And bottom line, whoever you are and wherever you're at, I, I know the Baptist circles I ran in would talk about this as walking in the Spirit. They would never say filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit because that's what the Pentecostals do. They would say walking in the Spirit. The Pentecostals, on the other hand, would say you need to be filled, you need to be uh, baptized, you need to be, and, and all of it, both of them are saying you, you need to become sanctified. You need to be in the process Bottom line, it's being who we have been changed into. It's putting off the old nature and ways and putting on our new nature. This last week as I was explaining my passion for the deeper Christian life, I was asked if I thought I would still be learning and growing as a pastor and a Christian at my age. Because as I was explaining to the person, I said, I am just getting more and more excited all the time. I mean, church renewal has just opened up an old, a whole new Pandora's box of truth for me. I mean, it's all stuff I knew, it's all stuff I experienced, but, but it's just opened up such an avenue of like, this is incredible, this is unbelievable, and, and getting some good personal self-discipline going. I, I think when I turned 50, I started to let the thought creep in that I needed to stop going to classes and stop taking church time and dollars to grow more as a pastor. <laughs> I want to be honest. What happened was God showed up. God showed up when we had our Holy Spirit encounter and then our soul care, and I realized I still had deeper to go. For the last two years, going through this whole process, has been so healthy for me. We've been going through church renewal 
And I know it hasn't completely come out other than the hearing God that came and we're doing the uh, set free retreat, which basically is Neil Anderson's Seven Steps to Freedom. But as we've been going through it as leaders, staff, and elders, you can't believe the difference I've seen in them. I mean, even if one of us misbehaves, myself included, it doesn't seem to take long till the Holy Spirit grabs a hold and they come to me or I go to them and I go, hey, I was out of line. That was my flesh speaking. And it, it's almost to a person, everybody's talked this way to each other. Church renewal has me studying doctrine, Bible reading and memorizing, hearing God and working at being sanctified. I have felt new freedom, new power, and here's some honesty, new attacks of Satan. But I want to talk to you about those attacks of Satan. In case that scares you into believing and to work hard at your sanctification, Satan never leaves you alone. And in fact, if you stay lukewarm, let me assure you, it's not going to even go well for you. And here's the thing that's not going to be great. If you just sit back thinking, I'm not going to let Satan get at me. I'm not going to get serious about my faith. Friends, let me tell you what you're missing. Those walks with God... That intimacy with him when you're driving a car and he speaks to you through your wife and then he confirms it with a small voice in your head or in the morning you're sitting on the front pew and, and he gave me a couple of things I could add to my sermon and I was frantically, in fact, Rick came up because we're about to have communion and he wanted to know some details. like, oh, go away, go away. I gotta write this stuff down. So if it scares you, let me tell you, man, it might scare you. And uh, The attacks of Satan aren't fun, but I want to tell you how fun this journey is. Walking with God step by step. When I was a teenager, and I recognized this journey began a long time ago, and I am not any, uh, the kids are still in here, and so just, I am not endorsing this, okay? This is not something you should ever do. I used to hitchhike all the time. I grew up in Fort St. John, we lived out at the airport, so I would often hitchhike home before I had a car. And uh, I can remember it was, it was uh, just where the speed limit sign heading out to the airport turned to 80 back in those days. And I seemed to always get dropped off there. I'm not sure what, there was this one sign in a tree. I'd be standing there trying to hitchhike. And what is a guy to do? Well, I had just this, I'm thinking in grade 12, and I had just been out at uh, Camp Segatow, and I'd learned all these great Christian songs, and uh, so I would start singing them at the top of my lungs. In fact, I remember one time I didn't see this person walking by, and they were looking at me really odd, but I was just having sweet time with Jesus. And I was hearing his voice, and it was just so beautiful. And over the years, that's, that's gotten better, and I've walked more with him, and I've heard him, and he's led me, and when I've gone through tough times, you, you know in my devotions this morning, which, which Luke are we on? I have to look at the date. Luke 22, right? Uh, I'm reading in Luke 22, and it's when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and, and he's sweating those drops of blood. He's about to be handed over to be crucified. He knows what's coming. Uh, there was a little line in there, and I'd like to study it a little bit more, but uh, it says that an angel came and comforted and encouraged Jesus. And you know, the verse that came to my mind right there in my devotions was, uh, <laughs> now the, the verse left me. Where did you come back? Come back. Right. Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you're with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yeah, this world's still sinful. God has not redeemed the world yet. It's in process. God has not redeemed you yet or me yet. It's in process. So we go through tough times. We go through valleys. We can get sick and have cancer. We can go through. But I want to tell you over and over, as a pastor, I've seen where, where, where literally angels and the Holy Spirit come. And in your darkest moments, you will feel his presence like you've never felt before. Sometimes our emotions can get so wound up and so caught up in things. It, we don't see the angel standing beside us. We don't hear his voice. But let me tell you, God is with you. And if you refuse to be on this journey, you are going to be missing out on something really cool, to be with the almighty God who created you, who loves you, who cares for you. So in conclusion, I want to ask you, who participates in our sanctification? Who part this is where you need to understand it's not a passive thing on your part. Number one, God participates in our sanctification. This is important. He gives us desire. He gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit. He guides the process, allowing irritations. Listen to this. Allowing irritations, drivers, responsibilities, pressures, and suffering in our lives where we can learn proper behavioral patterns. And you can probably have a whole bunch of verses pop into your head. But number two, and this is important, okay, God is at work in you. He's setting you aside. He's sanctifying. Number two, we are to yield to our own sanctification. And we do that in prayer and listening prayer. We do that feeding on God's word daily through reading, studying, meditation, and here's a tough one. And all of our staff and elders have started to do this if we hadn't done it for a long time. Memorization. And we submit to every sermon lesson. We heed the Spirit's promptings and corrections. We forgive others. We receive God's love and grace and community. We get inner healing from the stuff that's happened to us. We get deliverance. Uh, we break bondages, including destructive family patterns. So here before us is a communion table. And I can tell you from studying scriptures, there's one reason why we are told to do communion. And if you say Jesus, you got it. You know what? Because our proclivity is to go wild, to stop producing fruit, to start driving like it's all about us and nobody else. To not put others more important than ourselves. To stop being generous to all those people around us with our time, talents, and money. Uh, that's our nature. That's the old ways. And God's asking you, come on, work with me here. I've given you power. I've given you Holy Spirit. I've given you justification. I've given you the, the presence of God on the inside of you. I will speak to you. Uh, the word of God will jump out and smack you in the face if you just let it. Uh, you're going to have an incredible life. And even though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, evil won't overcome you because I'm going to be with you. My rod and my staff. And we know that Jesus was born a lowly birth. And this is perfect way to end our Advent series. He, he actually was placed in a feeding trough. He wasn't born of kings and princes. He was born to an ordinary family, a carpenter. And we know that before we take communion, as we study the scriptures, 
And there's a real clear warning that before we take communion, we're supposed to examine ourselves. This is sanctification in process. This is you taking a part of what God wants you to do. We're supposed to take a moment, close our eyes, and if you've got sin, you literally get, if you've got sin, I won't even put the word if, the sin you have in your life, you need to ask God, what do I need to deal with here this morning? It's so simple just to say, yeah, I did it. Forgive me. Sometimes you may have to go make something right. If you've stolen something or somebody, you need to ask their forgiveness or you need to forgive somebody else, whatever it might be. But we need to examine our hearts. Why? Because we need to focus on Jesus here. And the symbolism, friends, when you take the bread and you swallow it into your body, it is so symbolic with the, with the juice and swallowing it. It is Jesus in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are overcomers. Read the book of Revelation to the churches. You are overcomers. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking perfection. I'm talking about process. God is calling you into this journey. He wants you to be a partner in your sanctification. You're not doing, and I said this last Sunday, I mean, think it through. You go, oh, so you're saying that I can make myself, no, no, you are letting the Holy Spirit in you. You know the difference between this teaching and what the Old Testament would have taught? The Old Testament was all external stuff. You know, put these external rules, sacrifices, do's, don'ts, the difference is now God is in you. He's given you power. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You're in the process. Past penalty of sin is gone. Presently, we're walking in the Spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray as the elders come forward. Heavenly Father, We want to just take a moment because I believe that you want to speak to every one of us. And I know people can get so caught up in the details of this, <laughs> but if any thought or action pops into our heads, any sinful thing we've done, sometimes Satan likes to come and condemn, <laughs> but God, you come and you convict, which leads to repentance, which leads to life. Satan is mean and nasty and he yells and screams and he puts down. You want us to be pure and holy. You want to sanctify us. And so God, right now, as we take just a moment, would you reveal if there's some sin in our lives? Would you reveal if there's unforgiveness in our hearts? Or maybe we've offended somebody else that we've got to apologize to. Uh, God, bring us that instance to our minds and so that we can deal with it. Uh, maybe some of us need to have a little bit more generous spirit. <laughs> some of us, we come into Christmas and the, the whole family and joy thing, it just hurts us so much because we miss what we've had in the past. Help us at this communion table to focus on you, Jesus, to focus on what you did on the cross, how we've been justified, and we are being sanctified, both past, present, and future. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.